you know, I had an experience of a couple of life reviews while I was standing in that place connected to everything. And after those life reviews, I had this moment of understanding humanity and this divine source of love and light that we all come from, this, this, this place that doesn't judge us. And I felt like I never wanted to leave that place. And then the most fascinating part for me was, you know, I have a special needs child who has never been able to speak to me and who has suffered and struggled most of her life. And I saw her standing there in the middle of nowhere. She came out of that web and there was Maria standing there. And when I saw her, you know, in the temporal world, she's, she can't stop writhing her hands. She can't speak to me. She's always having seizures. She's always struggling. And we've had a lot of moments together. Uh, there have been times in my life where I prayed that, that God would just take her and relieve her from all this pain. But when I saw her standing there in the middle of nowhere, and she had this light emanating through her, and it wasn't the kind of light, any kind of light that you and I can see. It was that spiritual light that animates all life. The same spiritual light that comes from this divine source. And there she was, perfect and whole. And I said to her, Maria, we, your mother and I have taken you everywhere. We don't know what to do for you. We don't know how to comfort you anymore when you're having seizures. We've given up everything to try and heal you. And I've never heard your voice. I've never heard you say, I love you, Daddy. And in that moment, in that unspoken language of the ethereal, I said to her, tell me what I can do to comfort you. And she said three words that transformed my life. She said, just love me. And when she said, just love me, I cried out and screamed into that infinite expanse that I never want to leave this place. And when I said that, I found myself back in my hospital bed. This whole journey has just transformed my life in such beautiful ways. And I've learned one important thing, that the divine expresses and experiences life through us. And this is why I believe that this web that I experience there in the spiritual realm represents the light and dark struggle of all humanity through every age. It's kind of like a, a mirror. What we do here affects this spiritual web and vice versa. I really believe that some can call it karma. You can call it whatever you want. But that's why what we do here matters so much. The lights became intensely brighter. Their vibration became quicker. It's the only way I can describe it. It was kind of a vibration of energy and light that became so intensely bright. And the message that I received was, you see, this is who we are. This is who we were created to be. We are loving beings. Love and compassion is what makes us. This is where we came from. This is where we're going to return to. And this is really all that matters. This is really all that can impact 
the soul. And I remember just taking that message in and just feeling just so, so warmed and overwhelmed with that amount of love that I was witnessing and feeling. And I can only describe it as an unearthly love. It was nothing like any love I had experienced. The closest I can describe it really, and it doesn't even come close, was really remembering when my, my first child was born and holding him and just locking eyes with him, feeling a love overtake me that I really had never felt for any, anybody before and knowing that we would be connected forever on a, on a spiritual level. That, that's the closest I can come, but it really doesn't even describe it. And it was just so wonderful. I thought, well, you know what? I really never, ever want to leave this place. I want to be here. I am home. I know that this is where I came from. And now I'm back here and there's nothing that's ever going to get me to leave here. And when that thought occurred to me, I began moving again. And I kind of sensed that I was moving away from the larger matrix. And I became aware of two light energies. As they came closer to me, I recognized instantly who they were. And when I say that, of course, they weren't in their physical form in a human body. Of course, neither was I at that point, but I recognized them by their energy. And the first one that started communicating with me, you know, there was no speech, it was all telepathic, I recognized instantly as my ICU patient that had had the out-of-body experience and had returned to his body and told me about his resuscitation. And I was surprised, but I was so overjoyed to see him. His light started fading, and I was aware that, that he started moving away and that the second light that had come into my space who I recognized instantly as my father, was now going to speak with me. And I just was so overjoyed to see my father. I, I just really cannot even put it into words. And I was like, Dad, oh my God, it's you. And he was like, well, of course it's me. Where else would I be? And I was just, just so overwhelmed. And I would say I... I felt like I was crying, although I don't think I was because I didn't have a body, but I was, I was just so thankful to be with him. And I said, oh, now I don't ever want to leave. I want to stay here with you. I just don't ever want to be separated from you again. I was so close to my father in life that now that I had been re reunited with him in this wonderful place of love and light, I didn't want to leave him. He said, well, well, don't be silly. We can never really be separated. We never really were separated. I left my body and I died, but I never really left you. I've been with you this whole time and I'm with you now. And once you go back, I will be with you. I'll never leave you. You can never really leave this place. It's a part of you. Don't be afraid to go back and do this work because you're never going to be alone. We will always be with you, and 
I will always be with you. In truth, this place and these, the souls and the divine has always been with you. It's been a part of you. And I somehow accepted this. I trusted that even if I didn't understand it, if my father told me this, that he would not, he would not steer me wrong. And I accepted this and I said, okay, dad, if, if we're not gonna be separated, okay, I'll, I'll go back. And I felt myself really being pulled away from that place. And pretty quickly, I was hovering over the ICU bed and I saw my body. And I fully expected to uh, pass, uh, sort of like a, a dog going around in circles looking for a place to do its business. I was kind of looking for a place to lay down and die. I felt like that scene in Little Big Man where the Native American looked up and said, it's a good day to die. <laughs> you know, what better way to go, you know, on a nice sunny day. And even though I'd always been agnostic, I was really kind of curious as to what would happen. You know, if I did die, I was kind of wanting to know what would happen. I was kind of excited about it, actually. It was either an eternity of unconsciousness or there would be something and I would find out. So as I was looking for a nice place in the grass so I wouldn't lay down on gravel, um, what I later came to know is the Oz factor where, you know, time is altered and it's so silent and everything. Uh, something completely unexpected happened to me. Um, entities, intelligences that I uh, were very familiar with showed up all around me. Uh, some of them I could identify very solidly. One was my mother, my father, my brother, and a girlfriend that I had been estranged from for about a year was there with me. And the odd thing was was that some of these people that were there around me on the other side of the veil uh, were still living their lives here on Earth, which I thought was really odd that I was being confronted with a transcendent version of them, even though they still had their earthly lives. And then some of them were completely transcended into what I would call intelligent lightning. Um, I did not see them physically with my eyes, but I could sense their presence and the strangest thing of all was that right there in front of me was a transcended version of myself. This was totally unexpected. Uh, I became aware that this life that I'm living on Earth is just a small part of my overall consciousness that I have invested in this world. And that the transcendent version of the people that I knew that were there in front of me were not really aware of that aspect of themselves. They were just living their lives. And uh, if I had told them that there was a transcended version of themselves, they wouldn't even believe me. And I thought that would be really strange to go back and tell them. But as I felt myself passing, I felt like I was being given a choice. These people, these familiar people to me, uh, some of whom I could positively identify and some of them I was very familiar with, but I couldn't quite figure out who they were on the other side of the veil. Um, gave me the impression that I had a choice, that they would welcome me on the other side if that's what I chose to do. Um, but I got the distinct feeling that this life here on Earth 
is very fragile and very valuable. There's things that we're here to learn that I might want to stick around a little bit longer. That option was available to me. And I thought about it for a second. I was really, really tempting to let go and, and go meet my friends just to walk through the other side of that veil and be with them. There's a lot going on on the other side. Um, I distinctly uh, got the impression that there was a um, an electronic uh, field of some sort that these entities were embedded into. It was almost as if I had Googled Russ's dying to the universe and associated links, just like it does on Google. Your most closest links will pop up for you to examine because one showed up and then another and then two or three. And there was just a little a collection of entities that I was um, grouped with, that I was real familiar with, that I could join if I wanted to. But I thought about it for a second, and it came over me. It's like, now that I know that there is something beyond death, it would be really interesting to live a little bit longer in this physical form knowing that. My most recent near-death experience happened August 1st, 2004. I was a passenger uh, in a car enjoying a beautiful summer day uh, and the next thing I remember is being in this uh, black void, um, totally black, blacker than anything I've ever seen or experienced before. But it was absolutely wonderful. It was filled uh, with this feeling of bliss and love surrounded me. I felt connected to the universe, uh, to all things, all beings. It was, a, it was a glorious feeling, and I could feel the buzz and the hum of the universe around me. And when I was in the midst of this, I was looking for my body. I was trying to feel my hands, my feet, and I couldn't find them. But I realized I was a point of consciousness, and I had this tremendous freedom. It was joyful. And when I looked around me in this, this fertile blackness, I saw these pinpricks of gemstone-colored lights bobbing on this vast ocean. And I realized they were souls who had passed over, and it was, um, it filled me with, with awe seeing all of these beautiful souls. And I was just about to look down and see what color I was when this, um, from this blackness, a silhouette emerged. And it was a silhouette of my mother and my aunt, who had both recently passed over. And they were sitting on a park bench, kicking their feet, uh, probably in their 30s. And they were very happy. And when I was looking at both of them, I noticed behind them this uh, beautiful sunset, sunrise. It was uh, the clouds, the sun. And I was just wanting to go into that sunset when my mother said to me, everything's going to be just fine. And then I found myself back in my body. I was uh, in one of the outpatient emergency rooms, and I um, had been in a car accident, uh, had some broken bones and a concussion. Uh, and the thing that the ND provided for me from the moment I woke up, let's say, from that uh, um, experience was that I knew I was going to be just fine. So uh, in recovering from the concussion, I had that wonderful feeling of, of joy and bliss and oneness.
and the knowingness that um, I was going to be just fine. So uh, the experience of that NDE um, has been with me since then uh, every day and it provides me with the freedom and the connectedness and the joy and the flow of life. Thank you. So the light starts coming through, the darkness starts breaking and I can see the shards of it. It's like a physical thing and the spirit comes toward me and it's huge, like huge in a way that something is grand and takes your breath away. And I'm seeing the spirit and she's coming closer and closer to me. And I was so happy to see her. I'm like, oh, thank God, there's somebody here. And she opens her arms and as she opens her arms, I'm just pulled into her arms by her will. She didn't have to touch me. She put one arm around me and her energy was just circling around us. And all these shards of the broken darkness kept trying to get at me. And they would hit her energy and they'd go flying off and they were gone. And I knew they weren't just like gone out of sight. They were gone forever. That piece of the darkness was gone forever because she had fixed it. And I just started crying, like ugly crying, hysterical. But with her mind, she says, calm yourself, dear one. And I always tell people, if you've ever had surgery or a procedure where you've had to be sedated and they're pushing that drug in and you can feel it going through you, you can feel it um, sedating you, you can actually feel it as it's happening. That's what it was like. It was like her words broke apart and had their exact intended effect on me. I couldn't have resisted it. So I finally, I'm, I'm calming down and everything and I'm trying to figure out who she is. I know I know her. And I'm, I look up and I'm, I look at her face and I look at those blue-green eyes and on the top of her head, she's got this red hair, red-orange hair that's, that looks like fire on her head. And I immediately knew it was my grandmother and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, it's my grandmother, my mom's mom. Her name was Levita Patrius, and she worked in the steel stamping plants in Michigan, and it was a horrible job. And she lived with us when I was really little. Every day I would sit on the porch and wait for her to come home, and she would come home just red-faced and soaked in sweat. I mean, it was hard physical labor. And I just loved her. She was just an incredible person. She was a force. My husband always says, you know, you have an overdeveloped sense of justice. Well, I get it from her. She died when I was nine, and I remember there weren't enough seats for the people to attend her funeral. I mean, she was just beloved. So there she was to greet me. And I remember looking at her and I said, with my mind, because you don't have to speak there, I said, oh my gosh, I thought you were dead. And she said, oh no, there's no death. You know this. And I'm like, no. And she says, yes, you know this. You learned this in school. And I'm thinking, when did they teach us there was no death? And so I don't know what she's talking about. And she said, energy isn't created or destroyed. It just changes form. That's God's rule borrowed by man. The energy of who you are can't die. It just has to change forms because you can't stop energy. I was like, that is the best explanation I've actually ever heard. Everything else sounds good, but it didn't make sense scientifically. And so I was real happy to hear that. And I thought, boy, she's smart, you know? <laughs> so we were just kind of glad to be there and be in her arms. I can't even remember all the things that we went over and... And I remember asking her if I was dead. And she said, oh, no, 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 you're not dead. She said, you're kind of in between. You've got the you that's you know sick in the hospital and then the spirit side of you that's here. And there's a cord that's attaching you to your body. But if you decide to stay, the cord will be broken and you'll stay. And if you decide to go back, the cord will pull you back. And I thought, okay, well, that's, that's good. So I know how that works now. And I just was kind of in her arms and I started crying again. And she did the, you know, calm yourself, dear one. And I almost fell asleep. I was in this really super relaxed state, but aware. 
weeks, I went in for major surgery, and it didn't go real well. The reason I know it didn't go very well is because all of a sudden, there's two of me. I'm up here, and I'm looking down at these doctors who are trying furiously to get my heart, I guess, started again. And I remember that I had traveled through this amazing light. And as I got to the end of this light, and I knew I was two people, I turned around, and the man was walking towards me. And all of a sudden, I knew, wait a minute. Where am I? I know. And I said to him, are you God? And the man was really sweet. And he said, I can understand why you might feel that way or think that way. But actually, I am your husband's dad. And I'm like, my husband's dad? Okay. Um, but you're dead. And he goes, <laughs> and you're in heaven. Uh, right. Yeah. And then he looked at at this turn around looked at this door and he turned back to me and he said would you like to see something amazing and i'm thinking wait isn't this amazing enough and he said this is the door to heaven and i'm only going to open it a little bit because you're not ready to see everything that heaven has to offer and i looked at this door and it's again this like silver white gold door but the colors in the door were like welcoming me and wanting me and knowing me and this music this unbelievable music that was coming out of this door I wish I could describe it because I want everybody to know it but I was he opened it only maybe a quarter of an inch just a little tiny bit and I looked inside and I could see this was the door to heaven so I looked inside and I could see heaven and I could see Billions of people walking around, but it wasn't crowded. That I'm thinking, so I can see my dad and my mom and my grandparents when I pass. And Richard's dad turned to me and he said, he already knew what I was thinking and answered the question, yes, families can be together forever. And then I'm all of a sudden I'm feeling this love and this wave of emotions coming from the from within the door and it gave me I can't even say chills goosebumps but also I felt this image of love there was so much love that I was receiving and it was like every cell was leaping for joy like it knew what this love was all about and it was it was almost so overwhelming I, I started crying another important part of my message is our ancestors are waiting for us when it's our time to go they know they know that that it's our time and they're there waiting for you welcoming you helping you pass on to the other side and I I can't tell you how amazing that is to know that when our bodies die, we don't die. Our soul goes on and joins the afterlife. At the time, I had no explanation for any of this because I was an atheist, and I didn't believe you could exist beyond your body. But I was moving through something that turned out to be the shape of a tunnel. And the next thing I knew, my grandmother was there. Now, she had been dead for 14 years, and I had never once believed 
than anybody existed beyond their death. And my grandmother just put her arms around me like she did when I was a child and pulled me into her chest. And the next thing I knew, we were re-experiencing all 19 years we were on the planet together. She died when I was 19. And I wasn't just experiencing these memories through my eyes or my heart. I could feel her too. I experienced everything she experienced, and I have a feeling that she experienced everything I did about the love we shared for each other. And I started moving away from her, but she, she told me, not with her mouth, but heart to heart, that she would always be there waiting for me. And then I was back. You know, I, don't, I can't even remember seeing her. It was the feeling, the bodily feeling of this energy grabbing me and holding me. And as I moved into her, she always had a big bosom. And I knew that bosom. I knew that heart. I knew that love. And then it just spontaneously became our memories of each other. So I know it was my grandmother. Somehow I felt I was in heaven, for lack of a better word, talking to God and Jesus and my biological father, who had died four days before I did. And I didn't know that, but yet we were having all sorts, some sort of powwow in the twilight zone, and it felt very euphoric to me. But my experience of being dead didn't change me that much but I think it changed my perspective on everything that this planet and this universe is about. I'm convinced this is only a classroom or a trip to Disneyland that we take and learn a lot of lessons in how to assimilate life, appreciate life, appreciate the people in our lives, and appreciate what a wonderful gift life on this planet is as opposed to in different states of conflict. The one message I got was to be positive. I, my little brother, who died the year before, he's the one who came in and he wanted me to follow him. And so we went to this room. It was just basically a big, open, bright, white room. And then there was a doorway that we went in and there was three beings that I had met and they spoke with me briefly about my purpose, about my path, about myself and about me wanting to go back. Or they, they, it's not like they're saying, you have to go back, you're not done. They're saying, we highly advise you go back because you're not done. But it was obvious that I needed to go back. Um, so yeah, seeing my brother, the way he responded to me, the way that felt... Um, knowing that he is okay, um, knowing that like, obviously when we die, we don't die. We're just, we're just on a different um, channel, if you will. And it was very much filled with peace. The peace that I felt throughout the whole time was something that I've never felt here. Even coming back, I have, have not felt that. There was just a sense of safety that I've never, ever been able to feel. And that safety brought in this peace and so, yeah, there was a love as far as that room, as far as that light. It was just nothing but for my own benefit. These, the, the, the spirits there, the guides that were there, were there for me. They were there for my best interest, you can tell. And we had a connection. So it's not like they were strangers. From the soul level, we all knew each other very well. My brother had just the way he is, just that whole, oh, wow, that was quite the ride. You know, like, quite, you know, <laughs> this is the way he is as far as his personality I always remember just the way his personality is and he would always joke about things, but he was always light. So yeah, it, you know, if it wasn't for his dying, I just feel like 
his death kind of set the, the domino effect into play with me where one thing led to another. And then I find myself in such a low state where I'm wanting to die. And then having this NDE and then coming back, it's like my brother kind of set all that into motion. So when my brother like impacted a lot of people while he was alive, but it was his death that did the most. Um, a lot of his friends were on the wrong path as well. And when he died, they all shifted and changed to, to something different. Like, he, I feel like he had more impact in his death, even for me, than when he was alive. It's as if his death and the way he died was a part of his path, a part of his plan for what he would do for people. I ended up in this tunnel of luminescent white, golden, silvery light. And I saw this black shadowy figure that looked like it was wearing a trench coat, probably about 20 meters away from me. And all I could do was look around and felt this inner penetrating peace and love all around me and moving all the way through me. It was so magnificent and beautiful. I just was like, after the last two and a half months, I could take a breath and just be. But I, after kind of trying to take in this, this wonder, this mag magnificence, this magic, this love that was moving through and around me, I've refocused on that black shadowy figure and I could not make out a face, but for whatever reason, I had this really strong feeling that it was my grandpa who had died seven years previously. And to be honest with you, I can't remember a conversation other than this impression that this figure that I deemed my grandpa was telling me that everything was going to be okay. And that sounds so freaking cliche. It does, it sounds so cliche, but it was not only that I was going to make it through all the, the cancer treatment, the chemo, all that stuff, but everything was going to be okay. And it was almost like we had this inaudible conversation that I just can't really remember other than 
him communicating with me that all is well. No, everything is everything is okay. Everything is good. Yeah, soul group, as I understand it, is um, 17, 25 souls, somewhere around there, who are at the same stage of evolution, which is another way of saying the same vibration, uh -huh. the same frequency. And you and the other members of your soul group take turns playing every conceivable role for each other. So you will be mother and daughter, father and son, brother and sister, best of friends, mortal enemies, teacher and student. And at the soul level, there's no judgment of any of these roles, even though quote unquote negative roles, they're all viewed as opportunities for learning and healing huh. and expansion. So same level of evolution is an interesting phrase because many people might think there's no way I'm at the same level of evolution that my parents were at or something. You know, they they seem so superficial and judgmental and negative and abusive and everything. And I'm not that kind of person. So I must be at a different level of evolution. Yeah, you, you really cannot assess soul age or evolutionary stage accurately by looking at the superficial aspects of somebody's personality. And the reason you can't assess it accurately is that these kinds of roles are scripted before birth. So if you feel that your parents are unenlightened or unevolved, for example, uh, most likely you ask them in your pre-birth planning session to play that kind of role for you because you felt that that would best foster your evolution in this mm. lifetime. So in other words, somebody might be an abusive drunk or something and seemingly not very highly evolved, but they could actually be a very highly evolved person or soul playing that kind of role. That's exactly right. And I'll, I'll share with you uh, an interesting and, and funny true story. Uh, I'm sure many of your viewers know sure. who Edgar Casey is. Uh, for those who, ha who haven't heard the name, uh, Casey, who's now back on the other side, is regarded by many people as the greatest psychic American medium who ever lived. And late in Casey's career, after he'd read for thousands and thousands of people, he was visited by two wealthy women, sisters from New York City. And the sisters said to him, Mr. Casey, we are at the end of our rope in regard to our brother. He lives under a bridge in New York. He drinks too much. We come from a wealthy family but he long ago squandered his share of the family fortune. We've done everything we can think of over the years to help him turn his life around and nothing has worked. Mr. Casey, what can you tell us? Can you say anything that will help us help our brother? Well, upon hearing this, Casey did what he always did, which is he went into trance. He went into the Akashic record, which is the complete non-physical record of everything relevant to the earth plane, including the pre-birth planning. And then he said to the two sisters, your brother is the single most highly evolved soul about whom I have ever obtained information. <laughs> and the, the three of you agreed before any of you were born for him to do exactly what he's been doing so that the two of you could learn to be more compassionate. Mm. Well, as you can imagine, this was not exactly the response the sisters were hoping for, but that's how it works. That's what's really going on here. I'm playing. Yeah. I mean, if we do choose our, our lives, it would take a noble soul to say, all right, I'm going to live this miserable life in order to benefit others. It would almost be like a bodhisattva kind of gesture. Well, you know, service to others is a, a component of every single pre-birth plan I've ever looked at. And very often the souls who are taking on big challenges, challenges that require a lot of courage, like planning homelessness, for example, 
or alcoholism or drug addiction or certain illnesses like AIDS. They are often very highly evolved souls and they're taking on those challenges partly for their own growth and learning, but also in service to others in the same way that the brother was helping the two sisters learn compassion. So prior to my NDE, I was a devout atheist. My family were atheists. And then having this experience, I, it changed everything for me. And I had to believe in that greater energy, in that greater universe, which people will call God or can call universe, but it changed me to a very spiritual person. And I get so much strength knowing that we all have a soul family. So I definitely do pray and I, often, and I do believe in the power of prayer now, which I never, never would have in the past. Um, just because of what I've experienced, that there's no way you can't understand how energy is connected now and the power that we have for our thoughts. But I was paralyzed, but not dead. And then at the end, he decided to suffocate me by closing my nose and mouth until I died, but my soul kept on going. That's when I noticed that I had died, when I couldn't breathe anymore, and he wouldn't lift his hands off my mouth nor my nose. And I had a short visit to heaven. In heaven, I saw my mom and my father and my sister who had committed suicide 20 years earlier, but she was in heaven, which was not what we were told. Growing up, we were told if you commit suicide, you go to hell. And I was delighted to see Nadia in heaven. What I saw is that when I met my grandfather, he was part of the unconditional love that I'd experienced in life. And he was the only person who had transitioned when I saw him, he gave me great peace. And I thought, well, all I have is the memories of love with him. I don't have the memories in that place of his dying form, of what he looked like when he had leukemia. I just remember his soul's desire to write stories to me, to connect with me, to be that loving grandfather, to be that figure in my life that showed me that I was important. And that was, that was beautiful. That's all that we had in that realm was the love that we had experienced. When he looked at me and he said, do you want to continue on? I knew this meant go to the light of God. So I just flew and my soul just like went towards and God looked like this bright light but it was more than a light, it was intelligence, it was magnet, it was something that changed me. I, I can't describe how, how shocking it was. Uh, I had never experienced love like that before, only pieces, uh, like through my grandfather, through parents, through friends. But this was like, I call it an atomic bomb of love because it was so massive, it just hit me and I thought, wow in physical form we spend so much of our time not loving ourselves not being happy with this circumstance feeling anxious feeling i mean we just spend so much of our time not really understanding that we're connected to the greatest love on that we can imagine and that we can all feel okay we can all feel this bliss that this is kind of our divine rights and what we deserve uh, no matter how we've been treated in childhood, no matter what we've experienced, every single one of us can connect to this love.